Hey guys, your host, Avery Carl with The Short-Term Shop here. Welcome to our 10 episode deep dive on the Sarasota and Bradenton area, which includes all those fun barrier islands like Anna Maria Island, Siesta Key, really the West Coast of Florida. And if you guys are ready to start buying in this market, email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com and we will connect you with our expert agents in this market. I also wanted to let you know that we have some supplemental materials for you guys available on our website. It's theshorttermshop.com where you can go and you can set up a search and look at properties, see what the purchase prices are in this market currently. And you can save your search so that when a property that hits the market in your price range comes out, we can email you and then you'll know right away. We've also got the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA, for this market for the past few years to help you gauge what a property should be able to do. We've got a pretty cool calculator on the website also to help you tie everything together. So lots of stuff to help you along your way while you're listening to this podcast or and or if you just want to hang out with us more that's pretty cool because we want to hang out with you too and there's one good place you can do that it is our facebook group same title as my book it's called short-term rental long-term wealth it's just us and 60,000 of our closest friends hanging out talking about short-term rentals sharing best practices and all that stuff so you can join that or if you guys really just want to talk to us directly if you have questions about short-term rentals we have an open office hours call every Thursday, and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Now let's get to the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Show special episode series on the Sarasota and Bradenton markets. Today, we're going to be talking about how to build your buying team. So you can't just run off and buy a property all by yourself without the help of a few, a handful of different professionals. Uh, so we're going to talk about those today and how to make sure you are choosing the right ones for your short-term rental journey. I have John and Christina, our wonderful agents in that market here to help uh, talk about this today. And so we'll start with, since you guys are both agents, since I'm an agent, we'll go ahead and get that elephant out of the room. Uh, let's talk about how to vet an agent for buying a short-term rental. So I'll start. Uh, I think a lot of people just go right in Facebook groups because now there's a lot of market-specific short-term rental investor groups or market-specific just real estate investing in general groups. And they look for an agent there, which is a great place to find one or local real estate investor meetups. If you're a remote buyer, probably not going to find them at a local real estate investor meetup because you probably don't live there. Um, but I think Facebook groups or bigger pockets forums are great places to find agents. But what you want to do is with any recommendation, actually ask the person recommending if they have ever actually done a transaction with this person. Because what you're going to see is a lot of people recommending their friend or their sister or their mom who may be a wonderful person, but might not know a lot about the short-term rental regulations in the market. So as we've learned from John and Christina over the past few episodes, this is a pretty tricky market. Like you kind of have to hop from lily pad to lily pad of little areas that allow short-term rentals. And the last thing you want to do is fall in love with a house and say, oh yeah, I have, this is going to be a great short-term rental. This is going to be so cool. Nobody has one like this only to close and find out, oh crap. I can't short-term rent this. And um, so that's really important to make sure that you're choosing an agent who knows this market. But at the very least, 
you absolutely have to ask everyone who recommends someone if you've actually done a deal with them. Being in a mastermind with them or whatever is not a substitute. Like we're friends. I'm friends with a lot of people who I would never let sell me a house. So just because they're nice doesn't mean, or you're friends with them or they, you know, hearted your whatever post does not mean that they are necessarily the right person for this. I think I've, I've um, hit, hit that enough, but you, do you guys have any recommendations on things to ask? I, I like to see agents who are busy because they kind of have their finger on the pulse of the market a little better. So I, I call not busy agents, Aunt Susie agents. So everybody's got an Aunt Susie who's a real estate agent. Maybe they've been in the market, in the business for 20 years, but they might do one, two, three deals a year. Well, in the past two or three years, the market has changed so much in both directions that somebody who's only doing one, two, three year, three deals a year is not going to be able to advise you as well on what's working and not working and what they've been able to get and what they've seen and what their recent experience is because they don't have a lot of recent experience. If they're doing one, two, three deals a month, then they are they're doing deals as the market's changing and they're there in real time. If you go to an Aunt Susie agent like this year, when two, maybe they only done one or two deals this year, but last year they did a couple deals and you had to offer $20,000, $30,000 over asking on every single property. If they haven't done many deals since that, they might not know. I mean, they probably know at this point, we're pretty late in the year, but they might not really have realized fully how much the market has changed. And they might be advising you to make an over-asking offer when you can negotiate on these things now because there's a lot of room in the market. So anyway, I'm interested to hear uh, your guys' takes on questions that you need to ask and things you need to uncover about agents in this market. I guess I'll start. And um, you know, my, my biggest thing with, with with a lot of this is, are, are do you own any properties yourself? You know, do you work primarily with investors or do you work with owner occupants? Um, you know, we see a lot of agents who do a lot of business around here, but they don't know anything about short-term rentals. So you got to really be careful with, you know, you can find an experienced agent, but they still might know not know anything about the regulations, anything about rentals, and you know anything that's really critical for identifying and purchasing a property uh, of this specific type. You'll, you'll see that a lot too. Like listing agents, you know, we'll call. There's you know something hot that's listed, and we're like, oh my gosh, this is a great one. And we call and we start asking questions, and the listing agent has no idea, like no idea on revenue, like doesn't even know it could be a short term rental. And so I think you know even on both sides, listing and buying. It's super important to have that agent because you're missing a whole slew of people on the investment side if you don't even realize that you can short-term rent in your area. We see that a lot. We've seen, you know, when we're on the buying side and we're calling the realtor and then we've had many realtors call us after and say, hey, you really know what you're talking about on the investment side. I have an investor that's looking, but I don't know anything. Can you either educate me? Do you mind jumping on a call? You know, we like to kind of educate others, you know, we own here. So we feel like that's a big deal. We know the intricacies of of every little area. Like I said before, you know, zip code to zip code, street to street, it could literally be different zoning requirements. Yeah. So you really need to ask those questions, ask those zoning questions early. Don't ask once you've already started making offers You because that is a, a really great way to uncover, hey, does this person really know, uh, know the ins and outs of this area in terms of what the zoning regulations are. And I always, I want to hear, okay, well, I'm buying a short-term rental. Maybe you did 30 deals last year, but how many of those were short-term rentals? Because any business that you go to, whether it's a an agent, a lender, and you say, 
hey, do you do short-term rentals? They're going to say yes, because they can, even if they don't do that many, they want the sale just like anybody. Anybody wants business. I mean, my, you know, the mechanic down the street wants my business, even if they don't necessarily specialize in that thing that I need them to do. So you really do have to ask more questions and say, well, how many of the deals that you did last year were short-term rentals? Because you want to know. It makes a difference uh, if they've got experience in that asset class. Like you're not going to come to me and say, Hey, I want to buy a 20 unit apartment building. Cause I've never sold a 20 unit apartment building. I don't know that that's not what I do. And you need to make sure that you find those agents that do, uh, anything else on just real estate agents in general, before we move on to the lender side of things? I don't think so. I mean, I guess the only thing I would add is that there's very few and far between, particularly in this market that know what they're doing. So, you know, ask those questions, uh, be specific, don't afraid to, you know, get into the details of how much they really know, because there aren't many that really understand it well here. It's very true. Very true. There's a very low bar to entry to being a real estate agent, which is great. I love that. But um, I, I'll, I'll leave it at this. I have two one-star reviews on my book, and both of them are from real estate agents because I said most real estate agents don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and um, you know, it's not that they can't do primary homes, but short-term rental and, and investment real estate, especially when the zoning is tricky, really is something that needs to be specialized in and not just like a call me for all your real estate needs type thing. Another thing too that I like to focus on. And John was just at a boot camp with me where he already heard me talk about this, but um, emotional intelligence in agents is important. So I kind of liken it to gentle parenting. So you guys have a two-year-old. I've got little kids. I've read a bunch of parenting books in you know the past few years of my life. And I think one thing that they all agree on, I think that most people agree on now is that uh, you know in the 80s, spankings were normal. And now, and yelling at kids was was normal, and not you know coming down to their level and treating them with a level of respect and listening to what their needs are because the kid doesn't want to be in a meltdown. Nobody wants to be melting down and screaming. They're they are melting down and screaming because they're upset about something. So yelling and spanking or anything like that is not going to achieve the desired effect of getting them to do the behavior that you want them to do. And then also it's just very damaging to the child in general. It's the same thing when you're dealing with adults. So agents who run around like, I'm a bulldog, I'm a beast, I'm going to fight for my clients. And then they actually do that in a deal and you go and you try to steamroll listing agents or steamroll sellers. It doesn't work. You will get more for your client by being cool. And just like we tell our five-year-old, you get more bees with honey by nice convincing them in a respectful way that what your buyer wants is reasonable and why it's reasonable rather than going in and smacking them around verbally, you will get more by being emotionally intelligent. And I think that the whole bulldog thing is a very antiquated, antiquitous, antiquated, I think is the word, antiquated uh, way of teaching negotiation. I think that's a very like 70s kind of deal. I don't know exactly who who teaches that. It's old school though. Um, anyway, you want an agent who's emotionally intelligent, who can get what they get the best deal for their client by just showing the other side, hey, this is why we need that. This is why we need these things because the interest rates are at this. Like we've got sellers right now that uh, we've got listings out there and they, uh, we've had to tell them, Hey, we're overpriced because somebody coming in to buy this there, it doesn't sound like it's that much more money, but the way the interest rates are compared to what your interest rate is, they're going to be paying 15,000 a month just 
to hold this property. And that's not including taxes or anything like that. So being able to explain in a way that just is an intelligent way of doing things rather than coming in and trying to smack people around, I think really, really is important for you as a buyer, especially, you know, if if you have an agent who has good relationships with the other agents in the market, they're going to be more likely to work on things for your buyer than if they, you know, than if you've screamed at them before. So it's just, you know, basic human interaction, like interpersonal communication stuff, get more bees with honey. I'm not a fan of, I will not hire an agent who says things like I'm a fighter. I'm a bulldog because that, that tells me that, I'm not going to get as good of a deal because you're out there, you know, verbally punching people in the face. So that's a big sticking point with me. <laughs> Clearly. I agree. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. I agree hundred percent. You know, when I'm working with another agent, it's like, you know, we're both trying to work together to, you know, make a deal that's mutually beneficial. When you have somebody that's just like fighting against you the whole time, it, it's, that it makes it difficult. Yeah. All right. On to the next thing. Lenders. So very, very similar to finding an agent. Sometimes you'll find a lender first. Sometimes you'll find an agent first. Sometimes agents don't want to talk to you until you have a pre-approval and that's fine. If you find a good agent and they say, Hey, you know, can't really do anything until you have one say, Hey, who do you recommend? I'm happy to go get pre-approval with them. But if you're just out there looking for, um, for lenders, there's a few things again, that you want to focus on. You want to make sure that they're, that they've done a number of the deals of the asset class that you're trying to buy in the market that you're trying to buy in often. So you guys, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, in dealing with condos and whether they're warrantable and non-warrantable, again, every lender in the country, if you come to them and say, hey, can you do non-warrantable condos? Well, yeah, let me let me try. We don't do non-warrantable. Some of them don't. but And they'll say, but like, let me see if I can bang it through as warrantable. And then you get three weeks into the deal and they're like, oh, actually, it's not warrantable. And a lot of times the local agents will know that, hey, this is non-warrantable and there's these few local banks that can do this loan. Um, but the last thing you want to do typically, and I'm going to steal a page out of January, our, one of our agents in the Emerald Coast book, because she always says this, like, if you're trying to buy a condo in Florida that is non-warrantable, don't come at me with the bank of the Midwest because they probably are not going to be able to do it. Uh, what do you guys see and, and what do you recommend in terms of lending? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, the single family side is a lot more straightforward. Um, you know, Midwest or, you know, the majority of lenders can do those loans if they're, you know, second home loans or investment loans, if they're DSCR loans where they're trying to use air DNA data, that's a little bit more specialized. But, you know, when it comes to the condos, particularly the non-warrantable ones, like you're saying, if you don't have cash, you know, you really need to be talking to somebody local who's done those types of deals before um, or else we're probably all just wasting our time. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is get three quarters of the way through a deal and then be told that it can't be done because then you might lose the deal. Uh, a lot of times a seller won't extend for you to accommodate you finding another lender. They might now that things have slowed down, but I know at the height of everything post COVID, people were losing deals left and right over just having to extend one day because things were appreciating so fast that sellers knew, well, I can get more for the house today if I put it back on the market than I could a month ago. And they'd say, nope, I'm not going to give you that extra day and put it back on the market. But we don't we don't really deal with that too much anymore. But it's not something that you want to have to find out the hard way. Because I've seen sellers not, uh, not extend in not a crazy market too, because they just didn't feel like it and they don't have to. So just keep that in mind that you want to make sure that your lender can can hit that deadline and that they are that they often do what you're the type of deal you're trying to do in the market that you're trying to buy in. 
Um, anything else on lenders? I think we're pretty good to go there. All right. Let's talk about home inspectors. So um, how do you guys recommend finding a home inspector? Um, we have, you know, a couple of local ones that we we deal with. Some of them are the larger franchise ones and some are the more, uh, I want to call it mom and pop ones. But, you know, we, we try to find home inspectors that offer more than just a standard home inspection services. You know, they may have either um, a set of contacts that they work with, like a set of local contractors that, you know, they could call and make arrangements with for things like the termite inspection or uh, other types of inspections, sewer inspections. You know, they may have a list of partners that um, they partner with for, you know, certain aspects outside the basic home inspection. So we, we, we generally try to look for home inspectors that offer a variety of services, I guess I would say, beyond just the standard home inspection. Yeah. And one thing that I want to note there is that a lot of people will get weirded out and say, well, I don't want to use the home inspector that my realtor recommended because I think that they're like in cahoots with each other and the, and the home inspector is going to say, not say everything that's on the, they're not going to find things because they want the deal to close. And guys, that's not something that happens. I, that is so... Aside from the fact of how wrong it is, yeah. no agents are gonna uh, are going to put their license and livelihood in jeopardy for a transaction like that. So, uh, but I do think a lot of people on the other side of that coin will say, "Oh, I don't care who the home inspector is. You guys just schedule me whoever you normally use." I think that's irresponsible, and that you should be getting some recommendations from your agent or from other investors in the area or Google. But you need to call and interview all those home inspectors and find out what's normal in that market to be inspected, because that can vary from state to state and market to market. Uh, what are some things that show up? I always ask, what are some things that show up on every inspection report? Because I don't want to freak out over something that I've never seen if it's kind of normal. And if I terminate this property, well, it's going to be on every single property afterwards. So I want to know those things that show up often. Uh, like we talked about the age of the roof in previous episodes. Uh, that's something that you want to know up front that like, hey, it's possible that the age of the roof could cause a problem if it's a certain age, but here's how we can remedy that. And I think that talking to a home inspector before they go do the inspection about what to expect can really, really arm an investor to make better decisions at the time that the inspection comes back. Because if you're kind of blindsided, home inspections always have like 10 pages of stuff. There's no such thing as a perfect home inspection. And if you're not ready <laughs> to see 10 pages of stuff and think that, oh, well, if they don't find anything, there will be zero things. No, it's always 10 pages of stuff. So uh, just having a good idea of, of what's done, what isn't done. If you're on a septic, typically home inspectors don't inspect that and you would need a separate inspector for that. Some markets, home inspectors do have that as an add-on. So you want to call an interview and hire each home inspector. And I've seen it happen before. It's happened to me when I was new, when investors said, hey, just call whoever you normally use and get them in there. So I did and they missed something. It was, wasn't anything major, but it was like a, a leak in some squishy floors and the buyer came after me a few weeks later after closing. He went to the house and found it and uh, came after me because I was the one who recommended that home inspector and, and I scheduled him and he didn't call and interview them himself. So it's it's really, really important that you guys as investors are taking recommendations, but of course, also calling, verifying, interviewing these vendors yourself to make sure that A, they're exactly what you need, you like them, and that you understand the process of working with them. Um, anything else on home inspectors here? No, all, all very good points. 
Uh, let's see any, let's talk about contractors. So sometimes there will be things found on an inspection and they're like, Hey, you need to have a contractor look at this because home inspectors are not contractors. They are just supposed to call something out. They're not supposed to be able to, they're not supposed to be telling you how to fix it or how much money it should cost to fix it. You would need an actual contractor or handyman to do that. So let's talk a little bit about finding contractors. How do you guys find contractors to to come look at properties that are under contract or can you? Um, the time frame, you know, definitely propo- you know, proposes challenges. You know, if you got a 10 day inspection period, trying to get a contractor to come out there, um, look at it and then also get an estimate back to you, um, you know, within that inspection period can sometimes be challenging. Um, you know, sometimes it's beneficial to maybe make those phone calls and connections, you know, ahead of time and have that lined up in the event you need a plumber or an electrician to come out. Um, other times, uh, you know, the home inspector, like I was mentioning before, will have partners um, in the industry. He'll have, you know, an electrician that, you know, he can get out there or he can give you their number and you can t- call them and potentially get them out there. Or a plumber, you know, um, he can refer that can get out there and, uh, you know, do that inspection and give you, um, you know, a full quote from a licensed professional, you know, professional contractor within that given time period. But, you know, having those connections or those uh, people lined up ahead of time really helps um, speed things along when you're under under the timeline. Yeah. And I, d- I also want to call out that a lot of times if you're calling like a a contractor who's who does big jobs, it can be difficult to get one out during that timeline or get one out at all that you don't have a relationship with or that they don't know if they're actually getting the job. I've seen that happen. It's happened to me when I bought in a, in a market where uh, I'm new. I'm, I know I'm going to redo this kitchen. I know I'm going to redo a few bathrooms, but it's hard to to find contractors that can meet your timeline or even kind of take you seriously because they don't know you. So uh, it's very important to make sure that you speak to contractors very intentionally and that you let them know that you are serious and you are going to buy this house and uh, you would like to work with them. And and again, you kind of have to build relationships with them because it's not unfortunately an industry where you can just pick up the phone and say, Hey, can you come take a look at this? And they pop right over. It's uh, unfortunately a lot slower than that. And I, I know a lot of contractors and I hate to hate to sound derogatory, but they don't show up a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of the time. So uh, it, it can be a bit of a process there. I agree hundred percent. You know, the contractors down here are, you know, there's a lot of new construction. There's a lot of remodels, you know, that they're busy. So, you know, um, getting one to, to show up and then, you know, get you a quote is, is definitely something you need to build those relationships with. And if you want to get it done in a good amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that can be, sometimes you need ancillary, not necessarily inspections, but yeah, I'm going to call them inspections. So if you've got somebody who um, maybe they need a foundation looked at, maybe there's something a little wacky with that. And then home inspector calls it out and you need an actual licensed foundation person to come take a look at that. A lot of times you might have to ask for extensions, things like that. So uh, just know that there's no easy button when it comes to hiring contractors. It kind of sucks and hate to set that expectation, but I mean, you guys probably have some recommendations for your uh, clients. So they're not just kind of floundering around when, when they get to this point in the contract. Sure. And one other thing, I one other comment I would make is it's always a good idea to call the home inspector after you get the inspection report back and kind of talk through it with them. You know, the ones that will you know go over it with you, because sometimes, you know, we'll find 
that something was written on the home inspection report and he's just like, well, I just had to put that there. That's standard beverage that we put on every house. It's not really an issue. Um, and, you know, sometimes understanding that is uh, very helpful for the, the buyer to understand what's important and, and what's not. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Always, always call the home inspector and talk through things because sometimes there'll be things that look like they're not a big deal and they are, and you need to call them and, and find that out. They're just calling things out. They're not telling you, hey, this is a big deal. Hey, this is not a big deal in the inspection report. Or maybe there's something that you think is a huge deal, but when you call them, it's actually not. And it's maybe, you know, like a $200 fix. So always, always call. That's a really, really good point there. All right. So now let's move on to the people that you will need after closing to help you manage the property. So all the people up until now were people to either help you get the contract, get you through the contract, get you to the closing table, but you're going to need some folks to help you manage this thing. The biggest, most important one is your cleaner. So how do we find cleaners for short-term rentals guys in y'all's market anyway? Um, the two main ways are through Facebook and, you know, through programs like Turno. Um, you know, I, I put a property on Turno the other day just to get a backup cleaner um, for it's, it's a new property I have going live. And I think within 24 hours, I had 33 different bids on it. Um, so there's a lot of cleaners in the market, um, not all created equally. So once you connect with them, definitely call them, interview them, understand their experience and understand if they'll, you know, be a good partner for you. Um, you know, what is their capacity? Are they able to, you know, accommodate your property? Um, when the guests check out, or are they going to let it sit for a couple of days while they focus on other properties? Um, you know, again, identifying them through programs like Turno or Facebook, um, is, is how to, to find them. But, you know, the interview process is a big part of finding the right one. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note that you're, you're probably not going to be able to get them out to look at a property until you've closed on it. Because a lot of times, especially depending on the time of the year, cleaners have between the hours of 11 and four to get however many properties they have to clean that day done. And a lot of times they just don't have time to come out and look at a property when they don't even know if you're going to own it yet. Um, I'm sure they all have a story as to why they don't do that anymore because one person ran them around to you know ten different properties and they never close on any of them. So you want to this is somebody that you want to maybe start finding before closing. Start making some calls and and introducing yourself and and getting some recommendations of people who again actually use them and uh, just saying hey you know here's my closing date here's about what it's going to look like are you taking this size property right now and just start asking preliminary questions but you're probably not going to get them to come out and give a true quote until you've closed. And also don't expect them to be able to give a quote on the phone because there could be different prices for two of the same number of bedroom houses, just dependent on like, I know one who charges more if you've got a lot of bunk beds, because a mm -hmm. lot of laundry to change. So, um, you know, different things like that. Uh, another thing I would say is, is don't let the cleaners run their processes. Don't micromanage them. Don't give them a crazy checklist of a bunch of things to do. Like you, a lot of them, if they're already short-term rental cleaners, they're already going to have their processes pretty down. And you want to look at that and, and make sure that it aligns with what you want. And maybe you have a few extra things you want to do for amenities or, or niceties for guests, but I would not try to completely change their process into something else because they're just not going to, they're not going to want to work for you. It's not going to work. So don't micromanage them. If you have some extra things, they should be willing to, you know, oh yeah, sure. I'll put out this gift box or, or things like that. 
but don't don't micromanage the heck out of them is is my main advice. Yeah, I, I agree with that hundred percent. You know, there, there's things that are important. That's, you know, like cleanliness. And then there's things that aren't as important, like, you know, if the remote control is on the TV stand or on, you know, the, the coffee table. So, you know, um, when you are reviewing the house with them and, you know, doing a, an inspection after a clean to kind of check their work, um, focus on what's important, you know, versus what's necessarily more preference than, um, you know, what is the guest going to care about? They want it to be clean. <laughs> I don't care if you left me a gift basket if there's if the floor is dirty. Absolutely. All right. And your second most important person on your team is going to be your handyman or woman. And this position differs from a cleaner in that you're probably not going to have a list of four cleaners that you go down the list and whoever call whoever gets back to you first cleans. Like you want one cleaner who you have a relationship with who is doing all of your cleans. With handyman, it's a little bit different because it's more of an on-call relationship. So I like to get a list of five to 10, as many as you can get, because when that thing happens, not everybody's going to be available. So you call your favorite one first, if they can get there, great, you're good. If not, keep going down the list until you find somebody who can get there fast enough. But how do you guys recommend finding handy people? Um, There's, you know, we, we have both larger companies, larger handyman companies down here, you know, that, you know, have multiple people that they can dispatch. And then, you know, there's also the smaller mom and pop ones that, you know, are, in my, my opinion, the, the more preferable ones where you can deal directly with the guy who's actually doing the work. You know, he knows the property. Um, as far as locating them, you know, the buy sell groups on Facebook are a good place. The Airbnb groups on Facebook are a good place. And, you know, if you're looking at one of the larger companies, you know, those can be found online through Google or Thumbtack or, you know, any of those types of sites. Gotcha. All right. So that's that's pretty straightforward. And I think that these are your key people that you need to have lined up or start lining up as you're getting towards closing on your property. Everybody else that you need. So any more specialized vendors like plumbers, electricians, you can kind of build out from your cleaner and your handy person. So, uh, but these are the main ones that you need when you're getting started. Start, you know, once you get under contract, probably time to start looking for these people. So uh, are there any, any team members to help you A, get through your transaction and B, manage your property that we haven't touched on that you guys can think of? Pool cleaners are a big one to help manage the property. You know, once once you do close, um, keeping that pool crystal clear, you know, throughout the year uh, can be challenging, particularly when you have a large group of guests that maybe comes back from the beach full of sunscreen, doesn't rinse off, you know, uh, pool filter, the pools tend to tend to get more use like a commercial pool than it does a residential pool. So um, finding a good pool company that can make sure that pool is in top notch you know, condition um, continuously is is important. Oh yeah, pool cleaners, pool maintenance people, really important to have. Yep. And you want to have? I would say you want to have a few of those too. <laughs> um. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for being on, uh, listeners. If you are interested in buying in this market, you can email us at agents at the shop.com and we will get you connected with John and Christina. Or you can join our Facebook group if you're not quite ready to get in touch yet. You can join at Short Term Rental, or sorry, you can join on Facebook. Uh, it's called Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth, same title as my book. Uh, you can join there and just join the conversation. We got a great community going there. Or you can join one of our weekly live Q&A calls. You can sign up for that there every Thursday. You can sign up for it at strquestions.com. Thanks, y'all.